0: What's up, folks? I pray that this episode finds you at home. Um, I hope that you are washing your hands. I hope you're doing everything possible to take care of your neighbors and your community. By washing your hands, staying at home, wearing a mask if you're in public, if you have to be out in public. Uh, because this is how we flatten the curve. This is how we defeat COVID-19 and the coronavirus by collectively doing our part, which is to stay at home. Um, and I just want to say, you know, I've done a couple episodes to try to help us while we go through this COVID-19 um, crisis. They were episodes that I had not planned on doing. I brought some people back from uh, last season to talk about things like uh, when we had Kathy Kong talk come and talk to us about um, the, the outbreak of racism uh, that has been running parallel with COVID-19, and 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 that still remains the case. I mean, at the end of the day, white supremacy is going to white supremacy. So we're now starting to see numbers come out that the COVID-19 disease, the coronavirus, is disproportionately affecting communities of color. Duh. Anything tragic that happens will do that because that's how white supremacy is designed. Uh, we also had an episode where we talked about our mental health Last week, Danny Fitch came back, and if you haven't listened to those episodes with Danny Fitch and Kathy Kong and Rolando Lamb talking about our spirituality, talking about our mental health, and talking about not being a racist during this time, go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, But today I want to share with you an episode that I recorded about a month ago. Uh, I was trying to bring to light voices of women during Women's History Month to elevate our consciousness and, and to allow us to to hear the perspectives of women talking about things that are important and things that matter for all of us. It's too often the voices that we hear about everything are male voices, white male voices, but um, for this particular episode that was supposed to be a part of Women's History Month last month, I'm talking to a, a clergy friend of mine from uh, Manhattan, she works at an incredible church. I I wish that I lived closer so I could go to it. It sounds like my dream church if I were to go to one. And um, she comes on the podcast and talks about things near and dear to her heart. And one of those things is reproductive justice for women. And I will just briefly say this. I remember in 2016, and even today when I talk to Um, Any of my brothers and sisters who come from my tradition, my faith tradition, which is Christian, a lot of them have a very hard time moving beyond this particular issue when it comes to how they see themselves and how they approach a voting booth. So we have an interesting conversation around that that I want to share with you. I want you to take a listen to. I want you to share with your friends, um, because I I think it's important as we head into um, making another decision about who we want to represent us in this country as Americans. So uh, this is episode, I don't even know which episode it is. I want to say this is episode 25, actually. Episode 25 of Existential. Let's get into it. This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Folks, today on the podcast is Amanda Hambrick, and she is a writer, a mother, a wife, an activist. And Amanda, you just told me before we started recording that you have this really cool job at a church is the church. I know you live in Manhattan. Is the church also in Manhattan?
1: Yeah, the church is also in Manhattan. Um, I'm the executive minister for justice and movement building at a church called middle collegiate church, which is in the East village of Manhattan.
0: So we got to get into that in just, (laughs) just a second, but let me, let me like just, you also started, uh, you have a website, raisingimagination.com Mm-hmm. Um, which is, um, tell us a little bit about that website so people just get to know who we're talking to as we get into this conversation that I'm really, really, really looking forward to, to having with you today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Corey. I'm so happy to be here. Um, the website is sort of an online um, platform for conversations that I think raise a general consciousness towards a better way forward Mm. um to imagining Mm. a better world for all of us um and i don't know if you want me to talk now about kind of the origins of that um of that platform or
0: yeah you you can do that later the floor the floor is yours so you can talk about whatever you want to talk about
1: okay oh did you just hear that it's fine Okay, sorry people, it's 2020 and I'm still technology, uh, te- technologically not up to par, so sorry for the dings. Um, raising imagination was kind of this brainchild that I had um, right after the presidential election of 2016, which I know to um, all of my friends um, of color that that is fairly annoying um, because people have been doing this work of... Um, of calling out and calling in and moving forward for so long Um, and sort of after the election of Donald Trump in 2016 there was a a surge of of white people that were like oh yeah we gotta do this too (laughs) um, in ways that you know are good but also um, I know very very annoying and exhausting to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And sure, that's not to say I was like sitting around twiddling my thumbs all day before then, but um, in an ideal world, Raising Imagination would have started many, many years ago. Um, But it was after the presidential election of 2016 where I really um, kind of honed in on my call, um, my personal front line. Um, of work to do in this world. I have a friend mm. um, named Jenna who's actually writing a book that's coming out in May called "Raising Our Hands," which is specifically mm. about the role of white women um, in in uh, elections. And um, really, all that is to say uh, that I realize that my front line is speaking intentionally to. Um, people who look like me, people who uh, were raised in the South like I was, people who um, Mm. call themselves Christian, have a faith, and who are parents. And not to say that I'm not speaking to all the people all the time, but Raising Imagination really clicked for me when I was reading a book um, that talked about the space in people's brains that they have to even be able to conceptualize change. Um, Mm. It's so, 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 Mm. so, so, so small. So, you know, I could be talking to you about, well, hey, I want you to vote for so-and-so-and-so, and if, that's, if that is in discord with your values at all, there's like a tiny, tiny part in your brain where you could even conceptualize um, changing your values or changing what you think, unless mm-hmm. what makes that space a little bit bigger in our brains is if we have um, prior shared experiences with that person or with that Mm. group of people, Mm. then that space in our brains is a little bit bigger and a little bit more um, open and receptive to thinking differently. And so when I started thinking about that, I was like, Oh, well, I have a lot of common ground with these white mother Christians, Southern. And so what if I can meet them there? And then we have this like space in our brains where we might be able to then have a conversation that moves us all um, possibly in a different, in a new way. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just thought, I'm going to start doing this. I'm just going to start having um, conversations online, um, talking sometimes very lightly just about what it means to be a parent and what it means to like get three kids out the door by 7.30. And, um, (laughs) you know, what it means to be a working outside the home parent, what it means to be a person of faith. Um, sometimes the conversations will be light, but other times it will be, um, kind of in that space where I'm going to challenge you. Um, and you're going to challenge me yeah. to imagine, yeah. um, something different and to raise a collective consciousness. Um, I'll say one more thing about that and then I'll, I'll let you guys yeah. questions. Um, Go ahead. the, the actual raising imagination name, um, has kind of a a double meaning in that we're raising this collective consciousness and this collective prophetic imagination, um, kind of globally and collectively in the conversations that we're having, but it's also about the very minds that we're raising in our home. Um, Mm. And I was intentional about, you know, we're raising kids, we're raising activists, we're raising humans, we're raising citizens, we're raising change makers, Mm. but I don't wanna be um, in this space where I'm um, in any way like brainwashing my kids or brainwashing a younger generation. And so intentionally um, I am having conversations even with them and exposing them to things that I think will also raise their own imagination to then make their own decisions um, and have their own agency in this world.
0: Yeah. Wait, so I'll stop so there dope. for a minute. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, listen, um, I want to get to like the, the the good stuff, the serious stuff, but as yep. I'm listening to you talk, I know you you grew up in a small town, right? Where where did you go?
1: I grew up in a one high school dry county in Georgetown, Kentucky, um, mm. which is very different than Manhattan, where I live right now, and where yeah, I've been sure. for about 13 years. But-
0: So 13 years in Manhattan, were you in Brooklyn? You were in Brooklyn before that?
1: Just a blip. Yep. For a year. And then um, we got um, a medium income lottery apartment um, in the city. My family and I did. So we were able Mm. to move back to Manhattan.
0: I'm listening to you talk and you sound like a native New Yorker. Like, like that's the, the, the accent.
1: Yes. Yes. I like that. I like that. They say once you've lived here for, they say once you've lived here for 10 years, you can call it, you can call it home. So there we go. Well,
0: I mean, you know, I lived in the South for a while after being born in the Midwest, and I never really picked up the draw. So I'm, I'm really like super intrigued, interested, fascinated by the fact that you have this like native New Yorker accent that, that let's just face it, it's it is the best accent in the world. I mean, at least if you ask me, I, I, yes. I love it. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of it. So okay, you are you. You said so much just then when you were talking about raising children, and and I wanna. I want to stay there for a moment because not too long ago I did an episode where I talked to my kids and my kids sort of explained their experience with racism at school. And mm. a lot of people are asking me like parenting questions. Right. And, and I haven't uh, yet answered those. So since I'm talking to you and this seems to be a, a real thrust of what your work is, how do you see the role of parents now, uh, especially white mothers
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And
0: fathers who are who are listening to this right now, who want to raise children who are um, anti-racist and who are are really fully involved in, you know, in not allowing kids to be bullied because of the race, or, or how how would you tell a parent to? I don't want to say raise their kids. I don't I don't want I don't want to be messy and have you telling yeah. people what to do. But you know, but what is what is the work for a parent? Raising children, certainly white parents, raising children in an anti-racist way. Yeah,
1: that's a great question, and I think you know what you're hitting on is is there's a hunger for it. You're 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 seeing in the conversations that yeah. you're having that there's a hunger for it, and so no matter what absolutely. we call it or how we co- how we coin it, um, you're recognizing that there's a hunger um, for this, and I absolutely agree with that. Um, I think that's best case scenario, right? That that there's a hunger for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so people listening yeah. right now, thanks. You know, like that's um, that's a, a great first step and a good place to be in. It's the the people who don't think that this is work that they need to be involved in who most concern me, um, and who I think are are um, the most detrimental um, to all of our liberation. Yeah. Um, honestly, for sure. So, yeah, just, I mean, a couple of things. First of all, I'm no expert. Um, I lead with that. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I am a a lifelong learner myself in all of these things. Um, And examining my own racism and my own, um, the own ways that I benefit from um, white privilege is an ongoing process. And so I think parents out there, you know, knowing that, owning that, and committing to doing that um, personal internal internal work yourself is paramount um, mm. Mm. before we can think about then how, what's that going to look like um, to to the little people that are around us. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and you know, and just a word about about parenting too. You know, yes, there's there's moms and there's kids in our homes, but I also like to think about parenting with its universal implications of the 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 kids that we're raising in the park and the kids that we're raising in our schools and in our houses of worship. Um, so even if you're someone listening to this who doesn't have biological children that are your own, um, don't kid yourself to think that, um, young people all around you aren't watching you and aren't learning from you. Don't kid yourself in thinking that you're not also parenting and mothering them, um, every day as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so one of the things that, um, that my husband, Graham, and I really try to do is um, have the conversations with our children who are now five, five, and four um, that growing up, we didn't have. And um, you know, hey mom, hey dad, I hope you're listening to this at some point too. Um (laughs) we we both have wonderful relationships with our parents um and can attribute a lot of who we are in this world, obviously to them. But this these are not conversations that we had when we were growing Mm. up. They just weren't. Um Mm. and I wish I wish that they were because I think that a lot of the things um, that we see happening in the world right now You know, the election of Donald Trump didn't just happen in 2016 It had been happening for years and years and years um, right, And it's right. and it's part of a long, long line of a much bigger Systemic sickness that this country has um, That even the white silence around these issues of race And privilege that I was raised in Have attributed to um, mm. So you know, when I say have the hard conversations with your kids, what does that look like? Well, um, oh, I'm trying to think of a, a couple of things. I wrote about this, um, on my Instagram page recently, but you know, we were walking our kids to school last week and we said, Hey, what what are you liking about kindergarten right now? Levi and recess. Oh, awesome. You know, like, great. I'm glad you're liking recess. So we go with that for a minute and, I don't know about you, Corey, but it's hard sometimes to hear, like, real stuff from your kids about school. Um, oh, yeah. I think your girls are a little older than mine are. So maybe they talk more now, but <laughs> right now it's, like, pulling teeth. <laughs> but um, kind of on his own, Levi offered that one of the kids in his class doesn't always get to go out to recess, a friend of his. And, mm. um, you know, Graham and I know who this kid is. And we know that this is a black kid. And so we, you know, just pushed a little bit and we said, well, well, why not? You know, why doesn't, um, let's just call him Q get to go, uh, to recess and well, cause he talks too much and you know, he's, he's not good. So he has to, he has to sit inside. And so then we say, well, does anybody else sit inside? Well, sometimes Zane does, that's Levi's brother. So he's telling on his brother, and so <laughs> we're like, okay, awesome. Um, Does Zane sit inside as often as um, Q does or for as long? No, 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 he doesn't. And so we said right right then, we said, well, we don't know that that's happening in the best way that it should. You know, Q has black skin. And um, in this country, young black boys and young black girls um, are thought of by a lot of people to act out and to be not as well behaved as young white boys and young white girls. And we don't think that's okay. And so here is something that you could do next time you see Q sitting inside during recess, you could um, say, Hey, was anybody else acting out today? Or even Levi, you could say in your five-year-old body, I noticed that he sits inside more than other people. And I wonder if that's because he has black skin
0: Dang.
1: and you know, that's something that may seem like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's a yeah. thing. But if we don't um, encourage and empower and equip our young people to do like a action reflection, as we like to say at middle church on our staff about what just happened then how can we expect that in 20 years we're not going to have another Donald Trump in office? Um, How can we expect that anything is going to change if we're not giving young people, young white people, agency to call out something that doesn't look right or feel right in the moment? How can we expect if we're not giving them those tools that things are ever going to change? So having difficult conversations, not acting like, um, you know, people don't see color that kind of stuff like hopefully we're all in a space now we recognize that that's bullshit you know like no way.
0: Like, yeah right right right
1: that's a real thing so what do we do with it
0: so you just said something and when you first when you first said it i was like man that's a lot to ask of a 5 year old but then i was reminded of the video that was going around last week and i uh, I, I still haven't watched the entire video no i
1: can't watch it either a, corey i know what you're about to yeah. say
0: yeah, so there's a six-year-old in Florida who was taken to jail and put in handcuffs. Uh, she, this little girl is 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 crying and wailing and and saying, "I don't want to go with the police," as she's leaving the school. And so my second thought was, well, if we're gonna take six-year-olds to jail, then maybe it's not too much to ask of our five and six-year-olds who. Um, are being raised with a certain amount of privilege to, to stand up and advocate for their fellow five and six year olds and I hate that that's the world that we live in but it is the world we live in
1: but it is yeah and no I'm right with you I mean that that I read like headlines of that video and I you know, I have a family WhatsApp chain that was like, Oh, you know, where everybody's, I'm like, I can't even listen to it. Cause I know how bad it is. And that's also yeah. my privilege, right? Like I don't have to listen yeah. to that cause it's not my daughter right. and it's not right. my daughter because I have white, I have a white daughter. And so I do think you're absolutely right. Like that's not okay. We can stay in one uh-huh. breath. We all can agree that that is a horrible thing that happened. And so then there's also that space, Corey, you and I just got to that space of like a shared value that we have, like our brain Mm -hmm. is like, um, Mm -hmm. wrapped around the same shared value that that's not okay. So then what do we do with that? And how can we have that conversation with the white mothers too, who then in one breath, just like you did, wow, that's too much to have that conversation with the five-year-old. But yet I don't want that for my daughter either. So here is a thing that you can do. And one thing I always remind um, white parents when we talk about how quote unquote, uncomfortable these conversations are, um, that's, there's also a lot of privilege in saying that, that, that that these are uncomfortable things because honestly, these conversations are matters of life and death, um, to people who don't look like me and to people who don't look like my kids. And so I'm, I'm always mindful of that too. And that gives me the, um, you know what, I'm going to push a little harder here. Um, drive and gumption that I need.
0: Yeah, for sure. And real quick, a public service announcement for the existential audience. Uh, I I apologize. As I worded the question, I did not acknowledge the fact that there are same-sex partners uh, who are also raising children. So hopefully you are still listening um, now. and I really apologize for not wording the question in a way that includes you because I know there are a lot of really um, amazing parents who are uh, in same-sex relationships that are raising children and have some of the same issues and challenges that we're talking about right now. So, uh, I apologize and thank you for still listening. Now, uh, yes. Amanda, you, you
1: your Barbara job,
0: Dana. your job sounds fascinating. Okay, so even the title of it and what your church is up to. Now, a couple different times you've talked about your church and also been pretty vocal about um, how you feel about the current president, which a lot of churches are not doing. So. Can you take a few minutes and talk mm-hmm. about A, what your role is at your church and B, how your church is uh, confronting and addressing um, the current administration directly?
1: Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. Um, you know, I said a couple years ago that I also got, uh, I will get to this, but a little side note. I got pretty disillusioned by the church also right after the 2016 mm. election. And um, mm. You know, I remember I was um, working in a different church then, and it was the day after the election, and I'm just like falling, you know, like or I guess it's a Sunday after, mm-hmm. um, and like they weren't saying anything, like just weren't even talking, mm-hmm. like anything had happened, and I was like, right,
0: right this is right. not,
1: this is not it, you know, this is not it actually, um, and so I, I quit that job, <laughs> and I said to myself, there's only a few churches that I know that are doing this work publicly that are doing this work well right now and middle church was one of them. Um, so I kind of got my, uh, sought this out. I would like to think as much as they were seeking out, uh, seeking out me as well, but, but time will only <laughs> tell. So, uh middle church is an intentionally, um, anti-racist open and affirming, um, movement of love and justice as we like to call it. Amazing.
0: Um, isn't that beautiful? Um,
1: yeah. and it is, um, uh, we like to also say that we are healing the world at the same time as we are healing our souls, and we recognize that mm-hmm. uh, that that inner transformational work is necessary in order to do the systemic systemic work that is necessary to um, to transform the world. Um, Middle Church is also a very multi ethnic. Um, and inner faith in a lot of ways. The Christian Bible is our holy book, but we do not believe that Jesus Christ is um, the only way to God, to mm. um, God. Mm. Uh, we recognize mm. Jesus as a, a powerful rabbi and prophet, um, but not the only one. Um, for, and I know uh, that you've had Linda Sarsour on your um, podcast before. Yep. Uh, she worships yeah. the middle from time to time. and um, well, that's awesome. She, yeah, and Linda's a devout um, Muslim. And um, Linda and our senior pastor, um, a black woman, Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, our best friend, you know, Jackie's speaking oh. at her book opening on Thursday night. And uh, oh, wow. it's, it's relationships like that that are just really uh, beautiful and make this place the really um, special place um, and unique place that it is. So to, to get to your question, though, you know, we are publicly denouncing Trump unapologetically. Um, and how do we do that, I think, is also kind of in your question, um, because a lot of times there, there there's uh, a very real separation of church and state. Um, so how right. do we kind of tiptoe that line is, I think, what a lot of people are interested in also. Um, we absolutely believe in separation of church and state. And we're not sitting there up there saying, hey, here's who you should vote for. Um, I get dangerously close to that from time to time, which Jackie reminds (laughs) me of and has wheeled me in a few times, Um, but um, um, we do have what we like to think a moral, uh, a morals driven, a value driven campaign that we talk about all the time. And, you know, those things are, we are voting for people who say with us that black lives matter. We are voting for people who say with us that love is love, no matter what you look like or who you marry or where you come from. We are voting for people who understand that if a person is hungry or can't pay their medical bills, then they actually don't care um, if you're trying to get them to recite the Roman road or to get baptized. You know, if there's a hunger in their belly then um, they're not going to listen to your um, For God So Loved the World until you do something about their hunger. Um, sure. So all that to say, when we are able to speak clearly about our God-centered, love-centered, justice-centered values and morals, then it's pretty easy to say Donald Trump currently stands against all of those values. Full stop. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that, And that's not as easy. It has not been as easy to do in other administrations. Sure. Um, but, you know, this one is kind of a no brainer. And so we are able to easily say this stands against who we think Rabbi Jesus was doing in the world. The good trouble that Jesus was doing when he was flipping over tables, when people got mm-hmm. power hungry and greedy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. Jesus was saying, hey, woman, I see you, I believe you. And, mm. you know, our administration is going to put Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. That's a pretty clear disconnect. And so we do step boldly into that space of denouncing, um, honestly, that, that sin when we see it.
0: Yeah. And that's beautiful. And, and I, I, I love that your church has decided to make a real stand and, and to stand behind that and to say the things that need to be said and that you believe and that you're convicted of, I think that's so important because I I think there's a lot of people who probably feel exactly the way you guys do, but they just don't, for whatever reason, uh, I don't want to disparage them by saying they don't have the courage, but maybe it is that they don't have the courage and maybe it takes time to develop the courage. I I don't know. I mean, uh, but I I know that there are a lot of people who are not saying what they truly believe in their heart of hearts for whatever reason. Uh, And I just, whenever I come across people who are, I just feel like it's such a breath of fresh air um, so thanks thanks to you and your church uh, for being who you are. I mean, because it's such, to me, it, it speaks volumes and, and, and restores and renews faith for anybody who may be teetering in their mm-hmm, belief mm-hmm. in the modern church and, and in the yeah. Christian faith. So I, I want to shift gears a little bit because um, you you talked a little bit about, you know, when you talked about Kavanaugh, you talked a little bit about women and, and Jesus's role with women. And I saw something on your Instagram, actually. So this is a question that I didn't tell you I was going to ask you. So, okay, what's up? <laughs> you said if the Instagram was this, I think you were uh, sharing someone else's, but it was on your Instagram story. It says, okay. we teach girls shame. Close your legs, mm-hmm. cover yourself. We make them feel as though by being born female, they are already guilty of something. And so girls grow up to be women who cannot say they have desire, who silence themselves, who cannot say what they truly think who have turned pretense into an art form. That is such a statement, and I feel like something that you deeply believe. So could you talk about that during this Women's History Month, yeah. about like the, the, that statement and what it means to you and, and the message that it conveys to the world?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um... You know, I think people are hurt by the church, big church, um, big C. Yeah, for sure. In a lot yeah. of ways. Um, a lot of the ways that we talk about are our, um, our LGBTQIA plus family um, who have not been welcomed in the church. Um, yep. Yep. And Middle has a lot of those people. Um, you know, awesome. there, there's a lot of different um, reasons why people have been hurt by the church. But I don't think we talk enough about um, the evangelical Christians, um, who really do preach this purity um, culture to young girls.
0: Mm.
1: And, mm. you know, even I was raised in that. And I grew up in a quote-unquote moderate church um, that had, you know, women deacons, for instance. But, you know, I would I worked a church camp every summer um, who gave me a lot of good things. But we spent more time, Corey, every summer in our training talking about what what girls, what we could not wear mm. on stage and when we were, you know, leaders than anything else. Mm. Did we talk about bias in teaching or did we talk about Um, you know, any of the things that, you know, I think you and I would agree would be things that we might want to equip leaders with. Nope. What did we focus on? Oh, your bra strap cannot be showing. If you're doing this, make sure your skirt is this low. Make sure this is here. Make sure this is that. And anytime we would push back a little bit, like, but what, what it was like, (laughs) Oh, like, no, listen, please. We want people to be able to worship here. Well, fuck that excuse my language you know like it, and, and I didn't have I didn't we did not have um, at least I did not have growing up in the middle school and in high school and really it wasn't until after college where I began to um, expand my circle and recognize that really that was harmful and so messed up and 100% contrived by a um, patriarchal system designed to control everything about a woman's experience. Um, yeah. so I am pretty passionate about that if you can't tell, um, because I think it, it I think it intersects and seeps into so many things that are still, that we're still see happening today. Right. Um, yeah. you know, like, um, one of the things that, um, that's on my heart a lot as we are in this 2020 election season is the issue of, um, reproductive justice. And I, and Mm -hmm. I intentionally say reproductive justice because I think that we are in a, um, a, a word, um, battle. We're we're losing our word battle if we say pro-choice or pro-life because you know what? I'm absolutely pro-life. You know, I'm pro-life in all the ways that one can be pro-life. But um, it's actually more about reproductive justice. And this is tied to the way that the patriarchy controls women's bodies, controls women's experiences, and tries to say who we can be and how we can exist in this world. Even further, it's not just a patriarchal control. It's a white supremacist control. Because the whole um, evolution and proliferation I'm not saying that right. Um, Proliferation of the um, pro life movement, to use it right here, um, Mm. is racist. Mm. Those roots are racist. You know, when segregation Mm. um, really began to finally end in schools, white moderates, white evangelicals freaked out and were like, well, what can we have control of now? What can we? organize mm. around now? How can we still be in power? And they chose mm. reproductive justice. And and wow. white women don't know that. White Christians don't know that. Um, and that's also intentional because, you know, white silence is, is um, what allows white supremacy to continue and to thrive. Um, and so all of these things are intertwined and connected and um, related to how we um, vote, how we move, how we parent, um, and how we exist in this world.
0: Wow. <laughs> so, okay, so I want to stay here with reprodu- reproductive justice for for a little bit because so I was reading this book not too long ago. Uh, it's called "The Patient Ferment of the Early Church," and
1: it What's talks it about called? the church. The, and pa- the,
0: third, the patient ferment of the, the early patient. church.
1: Nice.
0: Yeah, and it talks about the like sort of second and third century church, and one of the things that struck me as really interesting was that, um, a woman during that time, if, if she were, uh, to convert to Christianity or or be baptized or become a part of, of a Christian community and was married to someone who wasn't, um, she was still under the control of that man. And that man Mm. could, uh, tell her that she had to abort the baby. Um, And that man could could tell her, like, she had no choice if if Mm. that man did not want the baby, that that woman would have to go out to wherever they had this sort of, um, really this sort of trash area where they would put Mm. the babies to die. And no matter how she felt about that, she had to do it. And I thought about the choice of our modern conversation when it comes to women's reproductive rights, Mm -hmm. that we are we are once again in a situation where in, on the, in the on the flip side, we are telling, well, at least some want to tell a woman what she can or cannot do when it comes to having children. Um, and I, I'm fascinated by this conversation as a person of faith and you being a person of faith, what do you believe that as, as, as men, because this is something that kind of comes up for me and some friends of mine, I have come to the point where I go, it's really none of my business because I'm a man mm-hmm. to where I have some friends who go, well, it's a part of public discourse. And so I, you know, should be able to talk about it. Where do you stand on that whole, yeah. the whole thing?
1: Let me make sure I've, I'm understanding what you're asking. Um, essentially like, should you stay out of the conversation? Cause you're a man and, you, and you're not birthing people anytime soon. Right. <laughs> um, or, um, is there a place for you in the conversation and what is it?
0: Yes. Should I say the conversation that that is a part of the conversation. And as you as you're clarifying my question that I was trying to formulate as I was verbally processing, um, the other part of it is for me that I'd love for you to speak to is there are some people who would say, OK, I'm I, I believe that if a woman has to choose her life or the baby's cool in that case, in the case of like rape or incest, cool, but no other cases should there be abortion and and I want to hear from you sort of your thoughts on that from like a, again, when men are making these decisions, that's where the whole, do yeah. I need to back out of it? Because it's none of my business. Cause I'm a guy. That's yeah. where that whole thing comes from.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, these are great questions. And I, um, I also lead, I want to be clear and say that um, I would never want to be in a situation where i had to decide to have an abortion myself let me let me just say that it's an awful Um, place it's awful and i think that's a thing that we don't say enough to you know now we're just we're issueizing it in a way that it's that we're almost acting like it's an easy decision even for women who decide to have abortions and that's not true it may be true for someone but women themselves also aren't monoliths in the way that Um, no, um, group in society is a monolith. And so to, to downplay the complexity and the, um, difficultness and the intentionality in anyone's decision to have an abortion or not is also not right. Um, so I think Mm. that that is, that is, uh, definitely part Mm. of this, um, from a strictly political sense, here's where I can say, you know, full case case closed we don't have we shouldn't have to think about this anymore that the decision isn't the government's right Right. the decision is that person who only themselves and their god whoever that god is their divine Mm. creator um know Mm -hmm. what's best in that moment And that is not up to somebody in the White House, somebody on the Supreme Court, somebody um, Mm. anywhere else. And so honestly, Mm. that is one of the main reasons why I don't think it should even be up for discussion, because it Mm. is no one's decision but the person who is currently making it. Um, Whoever that person is, you know, case closed. And the fact that we're even acting like it should be somebody else's decision is, again, evidence of the patriarchy um, and and white supremacy wanting to remain in power and in control. Um, Mm. But to take it a little bit, you know, deeper, which I think maybe from um, a pastoral perspective, you know, I am an ordained minister. Like, how do I wrestle with this? How do I deal with it myself? Um, You know, I... I do believe that part of, um, co-creating, um, and being made in God's image and God wanting to be in relationship with God's people, with each of us is then me stepping out of that process and saying like, I have to trust, you know, part of what it means to be a feminist, part of what it means to be, um, a person of faith is trusting and believing that every person has the agency and the ability to make decisions for Mm themselves. And then I don't have to carry that burden anymore. Like that is, I don't have to carry that burden. I don't have to carry that, you know, that, that consequence, Um, you know, that, that you may have life that you may have it abundantly that you may co-create with me um, means that, that I have to trust that every person can do that and trust that they will do that well. Um, So this conversation specifically, the things that um, kind of trump where people get stuck, which is, but you're aborting a baby, you're killing a a baby, the the bigger (laughs) issues of, but systemically, this is an issue of control and power and race trumps that for me. Systemically, these are issues of government. You know, making a decision about someone's body or the person that trumps that for me. Um, you know, me trusting and believing that an individual can make that best decision for themselves trumps that for me. Um, mm. And then let me just say one thing about um, your um, and it is a healthcare issue too, right? I mean, I think like all of this is a is a community planning, family planning, um, healthcare issue, access to. Um, being able to have resources and make decisions like this um, for, for ourselves is also a larger public health issue that I, that I'm passionate about. Um, And, you know, what's your role in that, Corey? Like what's my husband's role in that? What's any um, person who identifies um, as a male or um, not as a woman's role in this? Um, I think it is to, to still speak, to still speak your truth and to speak um, how how you feel about this, you know. Obviously, mm-hmm. if you're a person who thinks like I do, be an ally, you know. Like um, step up and say something, and and mm-hmm. be be the person who also has a front line of people who have shared similar experiences as yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that I think that's really helpful. I think that's a really helpful way to look at it, and I think. As you were talking about it and and talking about what trumps um, the issue for you or or, or what what rises to the surface for you um, are about dismantling patriarchy Mm -hmm. and white supremacy. And so, and and for a lot of voters, I I remember talking to people back in 2016 and they could not get beyond the... um, the abortion issue. They just no, they could not get me on that. And
1: they still can't they were
0: stuck there. Yeah. So how really... so how how would you help a person who is stuck there who says, I'm I'm wrestling now with the tension of I, I'm not an advocate of white supremacy or patriarchy, but I'm wrestling with this tension of, you know, how how I grew up mm-hmm. when it comes to abortion and, and, and my conservative roots. Like how how, yeah. how do you talk to those people?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say that actually you're not um, <laughs> an and, and advocate for uh, racial justice and for uh, women's empowerment. Um, but maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I wouldn't lead with that. Um, how how would I do it? I think. I think what that's actually what I'm trying to do. Honestly, that's what I'm trying to mm-hmm. do with um, with a, an online um, movement incubator like Raising Imagination, is to um, put tidbits out there. And sometimes they're more powerful than others. Sometimes they're stronger than others. But to put tidbits out there so that over time, you know, we're growing a collective consciousness with a, with an online family. Uh, we're having these mm-hmm. conversations continually, and you're getting an inside look into. Yeah. But what really does that look like? Like, you know, really that's what really, um, but because yeah, you're going to get to see some like conversations that I have with my kids when I mess up, you know, and you're going to get to see Mm -hmm. that this isn't just a single issue because it is intertwined to so many other things. So what I would Mm -hmm. say, I think is join the conversation. Let's be in conversation about it and let's see if we can get to, um, A place that way where where you might be able to feel more strongly actually about dismantling the patriarchy and about dismantling white supremacy than you are about having this single issue vote around saving a fetus
0: yeah yeah amanda one last question for you i see you all the time active like out in the streets of new york all the time it seems like you're always out doing something um being active in promoting good in the world and, and and the world that you imagine the world you want to see uh, and you also it sounds like you have three children
1: yeah small children I do so, twin twins so, and, a, and another one
0: <laughs> yeah and a husband so you have a family how are you you know work-life balance is this like you know conversation that we have a lot when it comes to um you know the corporate world and people's yeah. careers how are you doing it how are you how are you out there fighting the power and also um, raising a family at the same time?
1: Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, I have a very supportive partner, honestly. And I know that there's a lot of, um, uh, that's a, a thing that not everybody has, but I could not do this without, um, a partner, um, who is about these same things with me. Um, You know, Mm. some people ask, there'll be in a dating relationship. Well, how did you know? Or, you know, what works or what doesn't work? It's like, well, we have like a certain set of values and a certain set of of things that both Graham and I imagine for this world together, that then make it work. Um, Mm. And so a lot of things Mm. about our relationship are um, in um, some people's terms and in statistical terms, non traditional, like, um, he gets home, he meets the nanny every day. You know, I'm, I'm the one Mm. that works late every night. He cooks every day. He packs the lunches. Um, you know, I, if I'm traveling, he's doing the thing. Um, he does the dishes. (laughs) I don't know what I do sometimes, (laughs) but, um, but we have a a relationship that, um, is, is paramount to this. And so Mm. then what, what I would say to people who may not be in, um, uh, relationship is that find that person, find those people. Cause you can also have those people who will build this world with you. It doesn't have to be the person that you're married to. It doesn't have to be the person that you live with. Um, but it's gotta be somebody. It really does have to be somebody or a group of somebodies. Um, because we are going to get tired and we can't do it alone. And so we have to have those people. Um, I think another way that I do it is that I don't try to compartmentalize and that's contrary to, um, some of the ways that i was raised and some of the the theories that are still out there um but I, I have found you know especially at this point in my life that in the times that i try to pull apart and separate who i am as a mother who i am as a wife who i am as a minister who i am as an activist as a writer as a whatever that i fail i feel horribly but to the extent that i will bring to um the pulpit um You know, the question that my five-year-old asked before Ash Wednesday, which was, why do we need ashes to get us to Easter? Well, thank you, son. There's my (laughs) sermon, you know, to the extent that I can um, bring my kids to the protest, because this is part of being a mom and a parent and being a minister and an activist, then I am, am more fulfilled. And I always think of Audre Lorde's quote with that, which is, you know, we do not live single issue lives. You know we are not single issue people because we do not live single issue lives. and And so what what I try to do is imagine that that's true. and And I'm always all of who I am um, at any given time in the day. and and I think that that helps um, bring about this world better. I did not hit on self-care. Notice that. Um, hmm. because I need, I need to do more of that. Honestly, I need to figure out how to, um, unplug and, uh, recenter, um, uh, better. Um, but I am taking a vacation starting Thursday night.
0: So. <laughs> there you go. All right. All right. Well, you know what, and I, I know how I now can be an ally to you, uh, to, you know, reach out from time to time and make sure that you do find some time for Sabbath because Um, you know, it's, it's such an important part of, of how God ordered things Mm -hmm. for all of us as human beings. It's like that. It's that moment that reminds us that we're not God and that we can, we can stop our work and, and the world won't fall apart.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: Oh yeah. And, but I will just say that, that, that just blessed my whole life to hear you talk about bringing your whole self and not compartmentalizing because Mm. you certainly do hear a lot of the compartmentalizing talk when when you're talking about, you know, f- for me being a father and a husband and a mm-hmm. writer and activist, podcaster and a speaker and and all of those things that, like, you know, I, I'm I'm putting on different hats. But sounds like what you're saying is I just wear the hat.
1: You uh, wear the hat, you know, Corey. Man. It's so true. Yeah. It's yeah, so I'm just, true. I'm just, yeah, I'm
0: just being me, and I'm bringing myself to every one of those spaces, and I'm being completely present in them. Um, That's and right. And allow them to overlap where they need to overlap, and, I, and that just was that was so good to hear. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that.
1: Oh, thanks, Corey. Well, you're an inspiration too, and in what I've I've learned from from online, and hope that we can continue to support each other from across the country. It seems like
0: absolutely. I need to get out to New, to New York. I mean, please cause do. I, it's one of, my, one of my favorite cities. It probably is my favorite city to be honest. But you know, I just I, I don't I don't want any other cities to feel you know less than now because. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: love all of you, wherever you're listening from.
0: Well, Amanda, thanks so much for coming on uh, the podcast. And I'll make sure that I direct everyone to um, all, all the spaces that they can stay connected to you and, and follow along in your journey.
1: Thanks, Corey. Same to you. Really appreciate this that you're putting out into the world.
0: Yeah, so I was already a big fan of Amanda's and this episode just maybe even more so Um, if you are in the manhattan new york i don't know how exactly the whole new york area works it seems like a big huge planet to me from out here in california however if you are in new york city and you are within cab train walking distance of uh, middle collegiate church you need to be there this sunday they sound like incredible people And I'm just really grateful to have the connection that I have through Amanda. I'd like to thank Comfort Fit for the music. I'd like to thank Amanda for coming on the podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank all of you who have subscribed, who have um, rated and reviewed the podcast. And I'd like to thank all of you who are contending for a better world with us, one conversation at a time.